We're here on the Neil Haley Show's special simulcast of Searching for Integrity and Embracing the Abyss with John Smith. John, how are you? And we're going to continue to the next chapter in Embracing the Abyss. And last month, last one again was really choked you up uh, in certain ways. And it's just, it's really kind of reliving things that makes who you are today, John. Isn't that true? Yes, it is. And uh, it's, it's literally hard harder than I ever would imagine of trying to um, deal with it, of, uh, of what it does. You know, I mean, my stomach starts jumping around, you know, when I was standing up talking about this. Um, but, you know, I'm getting there. I'm working on it. Had, had another session the other day. Wow. And it isn't, it's interesting when you think about it because you write the book, but when you read the book, it kind of comes to you even more that you're reliving it again. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and if any, you know, people remind themselves, remember John of what happened to them, in their lives before, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, uh -huh. that, and that, and then you, it reminds you of something that happened to you that was, went through somebody else. Those flashbacks come, right? And what kind of feelings did you have? Cause this is just interesting for me to think about is when you go through reading some of those times, what kind of feelings come to you? How you felt at that time? How did you feel when you could have gone to jail? How nervous were you on a daily basis that couldn't keep your mind off of it? Well, I'm, I'm experiencing all of that whenever I come to certain sections of, of my book. That's, that's the part that I'm still, still dealing with. But I couldn't say at the, at the time when it was all going on, um, I was pushing forward. I was saying to myself that I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this. And, and you know, like I said, I prayed a lot. And I also uh, talked to my friend Steve a lot. Who, who's, he's the guy that saved me. Uh, today, when I, when I replay those, uh, those scenes or scenarios, then, you know, I get the same feeling. It, it, the feeling comes back to me right away. Wow. But it was then, it was then more, more, which is really strange to me. I don't know. Maybe exactly. I'll learn more about it with this new guy I'm seeing. Yeah. And that's, that's good. Okay. Let's, so let's go right to it, John. Next chapter. Okay. Um, let's see. The uh, next chapter is uh, number 19. And it is, uh, we, we've, we've done Cruella visits. We've done the... Uh, um, Cruella visits was the last chapter and that broke you up because of how nervous your family members were that you were gonna go to jail. That's right. We've, we've talked about the criminal code. Um, and so number 19 chapter is called Sentenced. Oh dear, okay. Yes. On October 12, 1988, the day before my sentencing by Judge Maloney, Steve wrote and delivered a very moving and convincing letter to the judge asking for probation instead of prison time for me. As usual, Steve was all over it again in winning form. He based his request on my character and history of community service the low level of my offense, my loyalty to my superiors at Vernon Savings, how I had been misled by them, how I had voluntarily reversed 
the transaction when I learned of the true facts and how I had no personal gain from my actions. My conduct compared to my fellow defendants was considerably less egregious and I had assisted the Justice Department and the FSLIC to a great extent. According to government agents, my assistants saved the government literally thousands of hours of investigation and attorney time and millions of dollars. During that sentence, I never took the fifth. I continued to work with them, even though their civil suit against me wasn't settled until just a month before. As part of the settlement, I gave the FSLIC a lien against substantially all equity in my homestead, even though my homestead exemption from execution was acquired well prior to my association with Vernon Savings. I gave the FSLIC all I possessed and more than the law would require. Steve provided the court with letters from people who had known me my whole life. They detailed my academics, my decorated combat service in Vietnam, my voluntary work at the Children's Hospital of Dallas and community service through the Rotary Club. This including coaching sports, school and other civic activities in the city of Coppell, and most like recently working with disabled children at Scottish Rites Hospital. He spoke about my work on projects related to rehabilitation of low-income housing in Fair Park, South Dallas, as well as, as my lectures to college accounting students on professional responsibilities and ethics. Steve concluded his letter by saying Mr. Smith's extensive past and anticipated cooperation is but one of four separate and independent justifications for a probated sentence. His past life, character, reputation and community service and principles of proportionality and sentencing also go and support a probated sentence. After my sentencing, I wanted to re reiterate the journey of how difficult it was and warn people by telling them how not to do what I did. How can I help you avoid this? Whether you're an employee of a public accounting firm or the employee of a client, how do you avoid this? Wow. The first step is awareness because awareness is necessary for consciousness and pre pre prevention. It reminds me of the song by the rock group, Yes. The same words repeat over and over and over. If it can happen to me, it can happen to you. If it can happen to me, it can happen to you. I hope to leave others with something lasting that they can use to put in their pocket and take with them into the future, like inner peace. That's chapter 19. Now, when you were being sentenced, how did it feel? Uh, great. Terrific. Um, we, um, we, some people had, had gathered back in our house. My, my wife's, uh, my in-laws, my wife's parents had come in from uh, Philadelphia. Um, somebody had bought a big magnum of champagne. And uh, my, her, my, my father-in-law gave me a, one of those plastic things that has all these tools in it. He said that just in case you didn't come home and thought you might need this to get out. Oh, gosh. Wow. So, and 
when you knew that, you saw, still knew there was a lot of work to be done. At least you weren't going to prison. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, it, it's it's like um, not having to carry about oh a couple hundred pounds behind you. You know, just it's just dragging. It dragged and dragged and dragged, and and now I didn't have the drag anymore. Now I had my normal energy and purpose. Now it's all back. Very well, and that that feeling. And so, what do you tell people that are going through these such tough times, getting to final uh, decision, which means nothing, not final decision, final result which lots of people worry about. We worry about things constantly. Once the result is what we really wanted and most outcomes, the result does happen for us. Some that doesn't, how can we not worry about those results and just wait for the outcome? Well, uh, you, you basically, for instance, when I would testify against people, various people, um, there were times when there were breaks and some of the defendants who I was testifying against would actually come up and try to strike up a conversation with me. Um, it was uh, trying to associate so that he felt like I was gonna be uh, lenient on him as far as what he did, but I wasn't. You know, I, I basically had to uh, ignore. I, literally just it's this I could do this without having to use my fingers that's how I was doing it um, I just didn't pay any attention to it uh, I never looked at people in the audience uh, there were in the audiences the courtrooms were always full right and I never looked at people at all and that was because I, I would find something and fixate on it and I'd, I'd look at it the whole time until the judge directed me or until the uh, attorneys directed all right. Wow. That's how I got by was getting by was just not looking at the others. Look at the others and not think about what could be the result for you. And that's very that's important right. and do that's that. Right. And it's hard in life. We do that. But again, John does that. John, you also have a show searching for integrity. It's on every week on AMFM 247 and nationally syndicated on radio uh, across the country and podcasting. And you interview interesting people that have amazing stories that talk about and your questions about their integrity. And you're blown away every week with these guests, aren't you? Yes. Yes, it is. But, uh, you know, it, it gets better. Even from here, it gets better. Exactly. All right. So check check John out at embracingthebiz.com, searchingforintegrity.com. Purchase Embracing the Biz by going to Amazon to purchase it. And John, I appreciate it. Another great conversation. Look forward to the next chapter next week. Okay. All right. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Talk to you later. You too. That was the special Bye. edition of Embracing the Abyss, Searching for Integrity, and the Neil Haley Show. Take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of Freedom from Addiction, Truth Just Below the Surface of the Neil Haley Show. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD. Wynn, how are you? What's going on, man? I'm doing good this morning, uh, Neil. Um, today's uh, show is entitled Mainstream Media's Misinformation Campaign against ivermectin now mainstream media has incorrectly insinuated that ivermectin is purely a veterinarian drug that could be dangerous to humans cnn falsely stated that talk show host took a horse dewormer 
to get uh, over his COVID. Rogan recently interviewed CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, getting him to admit that CNN had lied. The FDA started the horse dewormer fallacy based on a single Mississippi Health Department report that said 70% of poison control calls were related to veterinarian ivermectin. It was actually 70% of all ivermectin-related calls, six in all, four of which were about accidental use of ivermectin in livestock. Overall, these calls made up only 2% of all poison control calls. Now, a total of 20 deaths worldwide have been linked to ivermectin since 1992. Now compare that safety profile with remdesivir, the primary drug used in hospitals across the United States you know, for COVID-19. Since the spring of 2020, Vigi Access has received 7,491 adverse events in all attributed to remdesivir, including 560 deaths, 550 serious cardiac disorders, and 475 acute knee injuries. Now that's uh, since um, uh, 2020, 560 deaths, but worldwide only 20 deaths since 1992 for ivermectin. Wow, what a difference. Now, Nebraska Attorney General Doug Peterson has issued a legal opinion on the off-label use of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine for COVID-19. According to this legal opinion, healthcare providers in Nebraska can legally prescribe these medications for off-label use for the treatment of COVID, provided they have informed consent from the patient. The only cause, the only cause for disciplinary action are failure to obtain informed consent, deception, and or prescribing excessively high doses. In early September 21, Oklahoma's KFOR News ran a falsified story about emergency rooms being overrun with patients who had overdosed on horse ivermectin. Other mainstream media followed suit, all incorrectly referring to ivermectin as a dangerous veterinarian drug. In the real world, ivermectin is a human drug that has been safely used by, get this, 7. billion, with a B, people since the early 1990s. In 2016, three scientists received the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine for their discovery of ivermectin against parasitic infections in humans. It also is on the World Health Organization's list of essential medications. 
there's absolutely no reason whatsoever to disparage ivermectin as a horse dewormer that only a loony person would continue, uh, consider taking. Yet, that's what mainstream media has done, virtually without exception. When podcast host Joe Rogan revealed he uh, had treated his bout of COVID with ivermectin and other remedies, fully recovering in only three days, NPR reported Rogan had taken ivermectin, a deworming veterinarian drug that is formulated for use in cows and horses, adding that the uh, Food and Drug Administration is urging people to stop ingesting the medication, saying animal doses of the drug can cause nausea, vomiting, and other problems. CNN, among others, also reported on Rogan's use of the, quote, horse dewormer. In mid-October 21, Rogan interviewed CNN medical correspondent Sanjay Gupta, grilling him on why CNA, CNN would outright lie about his use of ivermectin. Gupta finally uh, relents and uh, agrees that ivermectin should not be called a horse dewormer. When asked, does it bother you that the news network you work for out and out lied about me taking horse dewormer? Gupta replied, they shouldn't have said that. When asked why they would lie about such an important medical issue, Gupta replied, I don't know. Gupta also admits that he never asked why they did it, even though he's their top medical correspondent. While CNN and mainstream media are certainly at fault for spreading disinformation here, they got the idea from a supposedly re reputable source, the FDA. In an August 21 tweet, the FDA linked to an agency article warning against the use of ivermectin saying, you are not a horse, you are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. Now, why is the mainstream media so opposed to using ivermectin? Well, there's a number of reasons, but um, this agenda that they have, a disinformation and everything, needs to be uh, talked about, needs to be corrected. Um, the uh, Mississippi report was the start of it, but it was a false report. And we have um, information from Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance, the FLCCC, a group of physicians and journalists formed in April of 2020 that has advocated for various treatments of COVID-19, including ivermectin and other drugs and vitamins. The group is founded by Dr. Paul E. Merrick and Dr. Pierre Corey. Their website is, and write this down, www.covid19criticalcare.com. You can find out about their iMask Plus treatment profile 
there and get a copy from their website. This tells you dosage, schedules, and is very informative, both for prophylactic use of ivermectin and for use if you have uh, tested positive uh, for the disease. It is centered around ivermectin, a well-known FDA-approved antiparasite drug that has been used successfully for more than four decades. Yes, that's 40 years has been used successfully. Uh, and ivermectin is one of the safest drugs known. It's on the who, WHO's list of essential medicines and has been given 3.7 billion times around the globe and has won the Nobel Peace Prize. There is a program for prophylaxis and also for early treatment. Of note here, and this is very important, there is a state region in Northern India where over 240 million individuals, compare that with the population of the United States, the government which started an intensive program of ivermectin use. And now, as a result of all their people getting ivermectin, there are no Corona-19 cases in their region. Compare that with what's happening in the United States where ivermectin is not used. Now, ivermectin can be prescribed legally off-label in the United States for the treatment of COVID-19, but there is still pushback from national media, from governmental agencies, from public health, uh, all of which don't want to see this drug being used, which could wipe out COVID-19. So get this information to all your friends. Have them come to www.freedomfromaddiction.libson.com. Spell Libson, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N. Don't use spaces or capitals. And try to get this information out because we have a drug that is safe. that has been used over 3.4 billion times without incidents of any significance. Um, and it can take care of the pandemic. And that's my report for today. All right. You know, it's just terrible to see when uh, a situation where the media lies just for an agenda for big pharma. It's a vet, it's a shame. And that even the media will put out on Facebook and different things what Dr. Sanjay Gupta didn't say in a soundbite versus the whole interview that Joe Rogan did. Isn't that a shame, Wynn? Well, it's a shame and it's being done by all these people who have a lot of money and they want to make a lot more money by giving people these back shots that can kill them, that will kill them. And they've got something that's safe as opposed to something that is unsafe. They got something that's cheap as opposed to something that big pharma is going to make billions and billions of dollars on. And they don't care that our people, our American population is going to die 
as a result of it. It really makes me mad. Well, when uh, it was a great uh, interview, it's just the kind of thing I think about great information, the feedback that I get from the information we go out to syndication to our 5 million people a week and a million people that listen to this program, plus your podcast. It's a, the most, the longest running uh, addiction podcast. And then truth just below the surface, the explosion of people just wanting to listen to information that's not out there. It's fantastic. You can provide that information and it's fantastic. We can bring it to our mainstream audience on the Neil Haley show as well. So I appreciate it when, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Well, let me, let me say one other thing, Neil, sure. we had a guest, uh, last two weeks ago, Dr. Robert Young, who is a world-renowned expert on blood. And he microscopically looks at blood and sees what's happening to it as a result of the back shots. And his program alone got over a thousand uh, downloads just from my podcast on one distributor in a two-week period. That's unbelievable. People want to know this information. They can go to the, uh, to the podcast and hear his program that almost a thousand people in a two-week period listen to is something worth hearing. And I think it's also when it's the ability to have that out there in so many different aspects as well uh, with the promotion. People really are tuning into your podcast to get the information as it continues to grow and congratulations on the success. And that's why you need to partner with Neil Haley. And if you have a podcast out there and you're looking, you definitely need to contact me because if bringing radio syndication can change uh, the, your podcast for life. So appreciate it, Wynn, and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. All right. That was the Freedom for Addiction, Truth, Justice, Blows, Service, and Neil Haley Show. Take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mike Velarde Show. I'm excited to welcome to Mike Velarde. Mike, how are you? What's going on, man? Good. How are you, Neil? Everything's well. Um, glad to have Tom back on the show today. Tom is a political activist, and he's really helping to uh, keep Florida red. So we, we got to thank All him right. for that. We, that's yeah. the big thing that, Tom, you're concerned about is, will we... Uh, Will you keep Florida red with some of the plans that they're trying to do? And I think it's a housing. One of the big things, Tom, also is that people are coming from California and New York because they don't have to work in those places anymore and can work remote in Florida. That also hurts the process of Democrats coming in to vote, right? Yeah, I think we could put everything under an umbrella category of simply infiltration. Hmm. Infiltration. And that means the people that do vote for Republican have to go come out for November's election, right? Keep Well, in our state, you have to be enrolled in the Republican Party to participate in a Republican primary. Out in California, you do not. So there's a whole different strategy that's being employed. And, 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 and I know that... Um, Mike has touched upon it a couple of times uh, with the Red Riding Hood issue, right. uh, which he, he brought to my attention. Um, we're also dealing with, you know, that I think the word rhino um, has been overused. And I'd like to take a moment, if I may, today and perhaps make a distinction between what's a rhino 
And what I heard the other day, I wish that I could be, I wish I could take credit for this term. I'm going to start using it, but it was not me that made this up. We have a new Republican chairwoman up in Pennsylvania in the Gettysburg area. I'm not sure what the name of the county is, but she's the count. She's the brand new county chairman up in uh, the Gettysburg area. Uh, she and her group uh, took over from the incumbents that had been in control up there for too long. And she was asked, you know, what, what was it that she had to overcome? And she said, we had to defeat the trans Republicans. And I said, wow, that is a great term. That's a great term. And, and, and the, and it was asked what, what's a trans Republican, a trans Republican is actually a Democrat who's identifying as a Republican, but deep down inside knows that they can, they can do the cosmetic surgery, but in fact, they're not Republicans at all. Whereas a rhino, for the most part, these are people that were born Republican. They've always been registered Republican. Um, and they don't even know what, what they are because they've been pulled slowly and methodically into the dark side. Wow. And that's so true to the dark side. Wow. And how do you get them back? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a progressive um, development that's taken place with rhinos. They don't even know it's happened very slow um, and it progressively has to be brought back the other direction. You know, we, Mike and I, I think have a fresh head looking at this stuff, but I don't know that we've ever taken the time out to start making uh some, some drilling down on, on exactly what's happening from within our own organization. Now, for instance, last week at a meeting that Mike and I both attended, um, some hothead got up and started ranting and raving toward me, um, you know, accusing me of being a rhino. And, and, and I just chuckled. I was laughing. I was like, you know, I, even, if he's, even if he's a little right, which I don't think he is, you know, that's fine. You know, you want to call me a rhino, but at least I'm not a trans Republican. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. And so what do you think the problem is? Why did the Republicans, they don't understand if they don't band together, Tom, it's over. Because if somehow they go to the other side, the more the Democrats keep growing, and number, it's socialism's here, communism's here, and I hate to say it, communism. Socialism, because the Democrats stick together, even if they're Democrats that really are like rhino Republicans, they are always going to stay with, stick with the party line, even if they don't agree with the party line. That doesn't happen with Republicans. Well, well I, I don't know. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I mean, there's a lot of intra-party fighting going on in Washington with the Democrats right now on a national scale. Um, When you're when you're inside your own party, you see the intra-party struggles that uh, perhaps the Democrats don't see and vice versa. We don't we don't necessarily see the local intra-party fighting that's going on here in Palm Beach. I can assure you that it does exist. And I'm I'm one that believes that you have to cleanse from within and that intra-party fighting is a necessary evil, because if you're not willing to engage in it, then you become submissive and you permit this deterioration and this infiltration and this progressive change 
that takes place over time. You allow the Chinese water torture to prevail. So I'm not a big, uh, a, I, I'm an advocate of intra-party fighting. So that's where maybe you and I differ substantially. Okay. So, so what are your thoughts, Mike? Well, here's the other thing. I mean, like when I ran in 2020, Loomer won the primary. She wow. was not fit to be a congressional candidate no. nor a congresswoman. So none of the other five people supported her because she just wasn't qualified. And had she, been, had she won, it would have been embarrassment to the Republican Party. And she's running in another district now. The point is she's irresponsible and you don't want to put someone who's totally irresponsible in the seat of congressperson. It hurts the party, it doesn't help it. So even though you have a Republican, you have a Republican that the, the, the Democrats are gonna attack consistently for her bad choices, her bad judgment, and her irresponsibility. You don't want that. And I, I actually have a more um, current illustration of what we're talking about um, right now. So um, as you know, Governor DeSantis has um, called a special session of the Florida legislature. And for those who don't know what a special session is uh, here in Florida, they're not Unlike Congress, it's not all year long with different different breaks along the way. Here in uh, Florida, they get together for usually about, I'm going to say about 90 days, usually January through the end of March. Uh, they only It's a part-time job. It's declared, it's paid as a part-time job. I think it pays like less than 30000 a year. Um, so for them to have to be pulled into session, uh, a month or two early is an unusual situation. I'm told from reliable sources that they're actually going to begin the session right after Thanksgiving. So that's at least a month early. Now, why are they having a special session? Well, in the governor's view, it's really limited in scope. Um, he wants certain legislation to be enacted that will prevent private companies from imposing these uh, mandatory mask wearing and the mandatory vaccine passports, et cetera, et cetera. Disney, for instance, one of the biggest employers in Florida, imposes this upon their employees. And Disney, by the way, happens to be one of the strongest lobbyists um, in Tallahassee. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, because we have a majority Republican House of Representatives here in Florida. We have a majority Republican state Senate. And we, have, of course, have a Republican governor. Um, this should be a slam dunk. It's not. Um, as, as recently as yesterday, uh, Firebrand representative, great guy, uh, Anthony Sabatini, just brought it to everybody's attention less than 24 hours ago that we have a number of our own Republicans that are declaring that the governor's proposed legislation is going to be dead on arrival. So here's where your trans Republicans come in. Here's where your rhinos come in. Here's where your own party manages to shoot itself in the foot. I don't think that happens, Tom, in the Republican Party. Mike would agree with me, except maybe Manchin, but that's it. Well, that's in the Democratic Party. Yeah. You got yeah. And Simina. Yeah. I mean and we're, we're talking about the state 
of Florida. We're not talking yeah, about Washington, yeah, D.C. Sure, here. Sure, Manchin's sure. from West Virginia. So, right? so, yeah, I know that I'm just giving you an example of the I right. don't see it happening as much with Democrats as Republicans. Republicans are shooting themselves in the foot and less and less representation is going to happen, Tom. And I know what you're talking about in Florida, but people need to call them on the carpet saying, are you really a Republican? Do you really want DeSantis to be to be governor anymore? Or do you really want a Democrat in there where it's over? Florida will 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 start to lose its power as uh, you know one that really doesn't have as many COVID restrictions. All these different things that could happen economy wise, defund the police, all these things, Tom. So why are they doing this? What are they thinking? Is it based on power, based on specific problems in fighting versus doing it? That's what I'm asking, Tom. Okay, so the simple answer. Um, and, and I'm a big believer that this is true, is that the majority of Republican politicians in Florida are still holdovers, and they got their start back in the day when Jeb Bush was the governor of Florida. And so you have the Bush-Cheney Republican Party in Florida, and then you have um, only the beginnings of what would have been the Trump Republican Party had had President Trump gotten reelected, we'd be starting to move in that direction. Now we're like walking slowly up a down escalator against the uh, Bush Cheney Republican organization. And and the classic uh, the the elephant in the room that nobody's talking about um, is the simple thing that um, there's a call. It's it's a call in the wilderness so far, and I'm I'm one of them calling out for a full forensic audit of the November 3rd, 2020 presidential election here in Florida, notwithstanding the fact that Trump carried Florida, because unless we conduct the same type of full forensic audits that Arizona and Georgia and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and the other swing states are planning on, unless we do the same thing. We're not going to unearth the same type of evidence that's going to justify either getting rid of the machines or certainly um, sicking the dogs on them to the degree that they have to be completely revamped and scrutinized so that no hanky-panky ever takes place again. All right. So, Mike, are you concerned about the upcoming uh, election process in Florida that things could go wrong? Absolutely. They signed a five-year deal with Dominion. Shortly after that, one of the Republicans actually from Central Florida um, was seen driving a new $160,000 Mercedes-Benz. That's kind of frightening to me. Um, so that would tell me that maybe Dominion paid these people off. The governor had no say in it. It was all done by the supervisors of elections. Um, I don't trust Dominion as far as I could throw them. So I am definitely very concerned about future elections here in Florida. So now, if you take a look at the map of Florida, and you know where the panhandle is, um, about halfway to the end of the panhandle, you have our state capital, Tallahassee, which maybe once upon a time would have been okay for the location of the capital, but Florida has grown by leaps and bounds since it was since Tallahassee was established and we really need to relocate the capital 
closer to like Orlando or maybe even further south where it's central to the state. And the reason why that's important is I'm organizing, or at least I'm trying to organize uh, a bus trip for this coming Wednesday, which will commemorate the November 3rd uh, debacle. And we're planning on getting up there and filling at least 57 seats on one bus. We, we could have two buses. Um, but the point is, people start realizing where are we going? How long is it going to take to get there? This is a seven-hour bus ride from, <laughs> from Palm yeah. Beach, okay? Yeah, and that's just one way, and we're coming back the same day. So now it's like, okay, you know, I don't mind, you know, uh, doing this, but I don't know that my body can handle it. And I've got people bowing out. Uh, just because of the logistics of getting up there and showing the politicians the white in our eyes. Wow. So, Tom, what is your vested interest in all this? You're a great political analyst that comes on the Mike Velarde show, but what is the vested interest? You're not running for office yourself. What are you, What is your ultimate goal by doing this? Well, on- ultimately, if you want to, uh, you know, if you want to uh, accuse me, if you will, of having some hidden personal agenda behind all of this, uh, I will confess that I am out to change the leadership in the infrastructure of the Republican Party. So, for instance, uh, the chairman of the Palm Beach Republican Party knows full well I'm after his scalp and every single person that he is associated with. So that's just an example because it's only one county out of 67. We need institutional change throughout the entire state. So true. And uh, well, let's go from Florida over to the U.S. now. Uh, just to, talking about specifically uh, President Biden. Now the looks like there's going to be a shot. A ch- the children's vaccine was approved uh, for five to nine years old. And it's FDA approved now, which, you know, for experimental use, but it's going to probably end up becoming a school mandate at one point in time, Mike. I want Mike and Tom's take on this ultimately, how dangerous is this going to be to give children, which again, have hardly gotten the virus compared to adults, unless they're compromised. I understand. I think we need to look at what what types of vaccines people take based on if they're compromised or not. This, that They could mandate this for children, Mike. Well, that would be horrible simply because they don't know. They have not done enough testing. They don't know what's going to happen five years. Any animal testing that was done on this vaccine, the animals will end up dying. Now, I mean, that's a frightening thing. I personally know two people that died right after, like within 24 hours of taking the vaccine. Now, of course, they might have had un- underlying medical conditions. But <clears throat> what does that say? The, the, the kids have natural immunity. There's no reason for children to have to take this shot. It, it, it's just too nefarious to me. What do you think, Tom? Well, let's back it up a little bit. How long did it take for the conversation about therapeutics to even be allowed? And now therapeutics are finally entering into the marketplace and and being prescribed. So without going into, you know, how good or how bad any particular vaccine is, without going into how many times we have to get booster shots, without going into transhumanism, which all of this is leading to anyway, Um, As far as the children go, that's just Frankenstein on steroids as far as I'm concerned. And it's really all about freedom, isn't it? Aren't we really, shouldn't the conversation be freedom to choose whether you want the vaccine? We're not only talking 
about mandatory vaccination where you have to prove that you've received it to have basic fundamental freedoms. We're, we're talking about the next step up, which I left off uh, the last time we spoke. I left off uh, by telling you guys that I would provide you with the exact section of the law, which I subsequently did. Mike, you have it. Um, and so your listeners, if they're interested, you can pass it on to them. Here in Florida, we actually have a law. Again, yeah. going going back to good old Jeb Bush, it's been on the books since he's been around. Now, it's never been exercised. It's never been utilized. It's never been enforced. So it's been collecting dust. Nobody's known about it. I've actually brought this to the attention of an elected official who I who's a good friend of mine, Mike Caruso. I said, Mike, do you even know? You're a legislator. Did you even know that this was the law? He said no. He was amazed. He agrees with me. He's going to take whatever efforts he can to see that it's repealed. But right now, as we speak, if we had, and we certainly don't, but if we had a Surgeon General or if we had a governor, which we don't, but if we had a governor or a Surgeon General who declared a state of emergency in Florida, that would lead to the further authority of being able to direct a police officer or a sheriff to come to your home with a warrant, come in, break down your door if necessary, forcibly inject you with the vaccination. They don't care whether you're going to comply or not. They're going to force it upon you. We have a law on the books that permits that to happen, and it needs to be repealed. And you talked about that before, Tom. Now, so that's the one thing, the children vaccine. Another thing to bring up is specifically enough, a deadline of October 31st. Uh, still trying to get that passed, Mike. This big, big stimulus or whatever you call it, infrastructure bill that's a, a disaster from the get-go, as many people are saying. Is there a chance it could pass, Mike? There's always a chance, but the reality is they keep putting off the vote because they don't have the votes. There is a split between the progressives and the moderates in the Democratic Party. And the progressives have said they're not going to support something that, that they don't feel is, is enough money. And the moderates aren't going to support something that's too much money. So right now, it looks like Joe Biden's over in Europe meeting with the Pope, who's going to allow him to take communion, by the way. Are you kidding uh, me? No, 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 no. You're kidding me, right? It's no. true. So, yeah, he's, he's, so he's, when are where are our Catholics going to split now? Because that that when when are we going to see a split of that too? Because that's coming. If that's the case, he's going to let them take communion when there are cardinals that have refused Nancy yeah. Pelosi taking communion. Other Democrats that are for partial birth abortion and different things have been not allowed. And to allow them to take communion, wow, that's a big news story for sure. If you're a Catholic out there. Yeah. And, and the Pope is very liberal. I mean, this Pope is very, very to the left. So he loves Joe Biden. Huh. He did not like Trump. I mean, he loves Joe Biden. So he's going to allow him to take communion. Uh, yeah, I think you're going to see the conservative Catholics revolt um, because Joe Biden's doing everything possible to um, to to harm fetuses and young babies and and he's so pro-abortion that it's criminal, but that's another story. All right, Tom, thoughts on that? Well, I'm a Catholic, and I used to be the attorney for the Right to Life Party when it existed up in the state of New York. It's since dissipated. Um, I'm pro-life. 
Um, I believe it's probably a sacrilege for me to say this, but I guess I'll burn in hell. Um, the Pope has got to go. Joe Biden's got to go, and so does the Pope. <laughs> You've heard it here first on the Mike Lardy Show. The <laughs> that bring back Pope Emeritus. Let him come back. Yeah, bring, bring, bring it back. He's still around, right? Uh, I don't know what else to say. Not on that topic. All right, I have to take. I take. Um, I'm just go ahead and the next question, Mike. I have to take this real quick. Okay. All right. Okay. Sure. All right. So, Tom, tell us more about who you have going on the uh, on the on the trip to Tallahassee, and why couldn't we maybe do it a, a um, you know an overnight because seven hours each way is you know that's really difficult. Well, I'll tell you, I was at um, I was at a function on Tuesday night which is called Trumpsters Tuesday Therapy. That's the actual name of the organization. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I marvel at it because they started out as like a half a dozen people a little over a year ago, uh, and they've grown to over 600. Wow. And yeah, yeah. And, and I really haven't been paying much attention to um, all the candidates running in the 21st Congressional District this year because mm -hmm. I'm a little more preoccupied up here in number 18, trying to get rid of the incumbent rhino mast. Right. Um, but anyway, I, I, I stood up before the group um, and, you know, I made my elevator uh, pitch uh, regarding the bus ride and I explained the importance of it and why people have to get engaged um, and jump on the bus. And I got a pretty good response. And, you know, a, a number of people have signed up. A number have said, I'm going to go. And then a couple have backed out, et cetera. But one of the most interesting people that came up to me was a guy who I really had only seen a glimpse of once or twice, did not pay much attention to him. And he's got a big smile on his face and he's really a, a, a nice guy. Um, and he says, would you mind if I paid you cash? And I said, sure, I'll take some cash. And he, he bought two tickets. They're $80 a piece. He gave me two $100 bills and I proceeded to go give him his change. And he said, nah, keep that toward the trip. And I said, wow, that's very generous of you. Thank you very much. And I didn't want him to know that I didn't know his name at the time because he's running for Congress. And I just he assumed that I knew his name. Uh, I've subsequently, you know, found out his name and he's just a super duper guy. And his name is Jeff Bongiorno. Have you met him yet? I, I have met Jeff. Yes. Yeah, he's a great guy. I mean, but, you know, a lot of these guys running are good. I, I, I like all of them, actually, the, all the ones I've met anyway. Yeah. I mean, Dan Franzese, I've given Dan all kinds of advice and, yes. and, and, I, I, and, and I know that you've helped out somebody. So, yes. you know, I, I don't have a horse, I don't have a horse in the race, right? but obviously I've become a bigger fan of, and he, and he gives himself a Nick, uh, he's got a nickname. He, he wants everybody to call him. Um, what is it? Uh, not Bungie, uh, Bungie, Bogie or something like he's got a nickname I have to pick up. Um, but his name's Jeff Bongiorno. Right. Um, and he's really uh, he's uh, he's psyched to get on the bus. And, and, and there are people like him that are uh, getting on the bus. I've got a number of people who uh, have just donated and sponsored other people who either a don't have the eighty dollars to to make the trip, but are willing to fill up a seat. And then other people that don't have the physical endurance to get on the bus, but they've paid for the other people. So we're, we're, we're gathering some steam. Um, you know, I've been down this road before. It's not my first rodeo. What happens with these bus trips 
is they either take off like crazy and you have to get a second bus or you just don't get enough people to go. And then you have to go through the effort of returning everybody's money, of course, and, and canceling the trip and then losing the deposit. So, you know, it goes with the territory. It's either going to be a great success or it's going to be a bust. Right. I mean, why, why couldn't you guys get a, get a bunch of hotel rooms and just go up there the day before and then come back that day and at least everybody will be rested and start early? And Well, yeah, in retrospect, you know, I did, I did look into that. Um, and you still have to get the people up there. You still have to go seven hours each way. Right. Um, and then you, all you're doing there is you're adding to the price point. And I, I tried to keep it as low as I could. You know, we've got one, we've got two drivers as it is. We got one guy driving up and the other guy driving back because there's just so many hours in a day that they're allowed to drive. Right. Um, you know, we, we could have had, if we took the one bus driver, then we could give him a room, but then we got to pay for his room. So it, the expense is just, uh, you try to keep it as low as you can. Um, and you know, like I said, I've, I've been doing this kind of thing for years, whether it's trains, planes, or automobiles. Um, yeah, I, I've done it all. Right. Right. Well, well, I mean, yeah, I have had the opportunity to meet Jeff. I mean, I, I do like Keith and Dan better. Dan, I think is going to be the, the strong horse because he has the money and, um, you know, the he's background. got the money. And, and by the way, he announced over at the second amendment club. I don't know that you were there last week. I don't think you were there, No, I wasn't. Um, I but it. Dan announced this first time I heard it anyway, he told the group that, uh, he's got the formal endorsement of Rudy Giuliani, you know, and, and yes, that, he announced that. Okay, I knew that before yeah. he announced it. He told me that privately. Yeah. And, so that's going to uh, that's going to carry some weight. That's definitely going to carry some weight, absolutely. And 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 Giuliani has a, has a, has a great fundraising team. So I think Dan will come out ahead. I mean, um, and there are some good people in the race. There's no there's no question about it. I mean, but the Jeff and I, I you know, life is a nice guy, but he doesn't dress the part at all. I mean, right. that's that's another issue. He looks like yeah. he's a freaking um... hello. Yeah, I'm I'm here. I'm still here. So I'm back here. So Tom, to finish up the show is unbelievably enough. I had a Muppet newsflash. If Mike remembers the good old Muppet show, there was a, a specific call. But again, go and figure. Mike and I get calls. We're getting close to the end of the month. Halloween is here. What is going to be the craziest thing that happens this weekend? Do you think there's anything that's going to shock us be, that's going to come out this weekend, especially being Halloween? Anything, Tom, that you have that you want to give us as like a frightening, frightening outlook that could happen this weekend? Well, the most frightening outlook that could happen to me um, would be to find out that not enough people want to get on the bus to go to Tallahassee. That's going to put a little knot in my stomach because now I got to go through the effort of a losing a deposit, negotiating with the bus company, and then returning everybody's money. So that that would not be nice. Um, you know, it would be a nice trick or treat to find out that all of a sudden uh, more people come out of the woodwork last minute, which I've seen in the past with these kind of bus rides. You know, they call, oh, is it are the seats still available? That kind of thing. So it could swing uh, either way, and then tomorrow. I'm going down to the Broward County um, annual Lincoln Day, Reagan Day fundraiser. And that should be a lot of fireworks because they have a lot of intra-party fighting going on down there. So that should be, at least from my perspective, not being a member of their organization, 
that should be an interesting, uh, ugly, um, you know, bunch of things that probably will occur as they usually do in Broward County. All right. Okay. Uh, fantastic. But well, <laughs> best place to get connect with Tom. Where are we gonna? Where can people email you right now, Tom? As always, um, I can be best reached by simply sending me an email. I don't have a website, um, but the email that I always respond to, and I'm pretty good at getting back pretty fast, is Trump Train Adventures at gmail.com. All right. And it's MikeVillardiBooks.com to book to purchase the time of his coming and also winningtaxsolutions.com because the IRS is coming after you, everyone, right, Mike? Yes, and, and I think the most frightening thing that could happen on Halloween was for the Democrats to pass some kind of bill. Okay, so, that, so that's what we're going to all look at. Appreciate it, Mike. Appreciate it, Tom. Take care, guys. That was the Mike Velarde Show. Take care, guys.